This is the Lunduke Journal podcast for the year of our Lord, 2022, April 10th, in fact. And I want to talk a little bit today about how so many people, and I'm sp- when I say people, what I'm really talking about are journalists and technology journalists and, and the like, right? The people who write and talk about computers for a living, about how often they completely screw up the history of computers. It is, it is just, it boggles my little tiny pea brain how often they get it so horribly wrong. And I, I recognize, I, I, and we'll get into this in depth. I'm gonna try, I'm gonna try my best to not specifically pick on any any one person but i recognize that many of the tech journalists working today and i include in that people who work write for magazines uh tech news sites podcasts uh youtubers on a variety of different tech channels the whole lot of them i recognize that many of them really didn't start using computers until like windows xp you know, you know what I mean? Like, I, I fully appreciate that so many of them got a, a kind of a late start in terms of, of using computers because they're, most of them are younger. Most of them are younger. And this isn't a knock against young people by any, any stretch of the imagination, uh, even though uh, uh, clearly I am not exactly a member of that young person group anymore. Um, but it's just that there seems to be a fundamental misunderstanding about a huge variety of topics. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk, touch on a few of them that really just kind of, that kind of irk me, uh, uh, today. And, and I also would be remiss if I did not point out that I just released a new book on computer history. <laughs> Segway from heaven. Um, it is Lunduke's uh, history of computers, uh, volume one, and it's about 200 pages long. And it collects together uh, just a, a huge trove of weird stories about computer history that that either just get forgotten and lost or that most people just get wrong all the time. Uh, and I wanted to uh, I wanted to try and get it all collected into one one tome, you know, that I can I can point people to and be like this. If you read this book. When you go to a, a nerd party, like you're at a conference or a work party or something, and someone's talking their mouth off about something about like um, where the term open source comes from or or whatnot, you can be like, ah, uh, not so fast, buckaroo, actually, and then you can lay down some truth knowledge bombs on them, right? That that was the whole <laughs> that was one of my points about that book. Um, anyway, it's it's free for all uh, all full subscribers uh, to the Lunduke Journal. Uh, so lunduke.substack.com uh, or lunduke.locals.com. Go over there, subscribe. Did you know? And I just I just wrote a, a little post over on the Lunduke Journal about this, mostly because it blew my mind when it really sunk in earlier today. I have ten books published right now as part of the Lunduke Journal, like as, as perks, right? So people who subscribe, they get 10 of my books, 10 of them. <laughs> it's crazy to me that that's 10 of them. And that is just 
10 books that have been added over the last like oh gosh seven eight nine months something like that how however long since i officially launched the lunduke journal on Substack and over on locals like i kind of like consolidated it all and, and organized it that way and since i've done that 10 books now, some of them are older books and some of them are newer books. It's kind of all over the map. But like the books on satire, uh, dad jokes about computers, comic books, uh, a paper doll book with Tux the Penguin, history books and 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 all sorts of stuff. Uh, choose your own adventure book, like a whole bunch of stuff. So if you want nerdy books, go subscribe over there um, and uh, and take a look at all that. Also, uh, I want to shout out to all of you who have already subscribed to the Lunduke Journal, you are amazing. Um, and with an extra extra rounds of high fives for all of the founding members. If you haven't seen the founding member subscriptions, it's 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 uh, a bunch of extra perks like cool video chats and and all sorts of things that we do. Uh, so go over to lunduke.substack.com. There's all the all the details over there. Uh, go do that right now because it's amazing. All right, let's back to history. Back to history. Come back to me. Let's talk about history for a minute. Um, so uh, here's just a couple of examples of things that, that kind of blow my mind. And yes, all of these examples are, uh, in, in, covered in some degree, um, in, in my book, Lunduk's History of Computers, Volume 1. Side note, I almost called it Lunduk's History of Computers, Part 1, as an homage to Mel Brooks' History of the World, Part 1. But then I thought, maybe people would then think that it was a joke. And while many of the the stories that are inside the book are kind of funny, it's a it's just a real history book, right? There's some jokes in it, but like the jokes are kind of off to the side. Like it's a, it's a history book. Like you could, you could use this thing like a textbook. If you actually had a history of computers course and you taught it from this book, the people that left that course would be better educated about the history of computers than, than most four, six and eight year computer science graduates. Not joking. Uh, go read the book. It's amazing. Um, all right. So uh, let's talk about this right now. It's just an example. Clear your head. I'm going to ask you a question. Who invented and created Emacs, the text editor? Or, or the operating environment, however you, whatever you consider Emacs to be. Who created it? If you said Richard Stallman, you're absolutely wrong. <laughs> See, Richard Stallman uh, didn't actually create Emacs. He copied Emacs from the guy who created it um, and released a GPL licensed version of Emacs. So Richard Stallman didn't even fully create GNU slash Emacs. He literally copied code from someone else that created Emacs and then and then and then made it GNU Emacs and then he then he modified and maintained GNU Emacs from there on but many people think oh Richard Stallman Emacs no no sorry Bob uh, that I covered that a little bit in the book as well one of the one of the other interesting tidbits that that really kind of kind of gets me is um the, the phrase open source, and I've talked about this one a few times in the past. Who created the phrase open source? Right? A lot of people lay claim to it. The open source initiative has their own viewpoint on it. And here's what boggles my mind. 
the open source initiative, their statements about who created and first coined and used the term open source is demonstrably wrong. Yeah, the open source initiative does not understand the history of the phrase that they are an initiative for. How crazy is that? So like uh, from the open source initiative standpoint, it was coined by a woman who was working with um, uh, the open sourcing of Netscape Navigator, which would then go on to become, uh, you know, Firefox and Firebird and all that that sort of thing. It was a whole, a whole thing that went through that. But that process, and that process included a lot of people, including like Eric Raymond. Eric Raymond was there during that process. Did Eric Raymond or any of the other people involved in that process coin the term open source? No, none of them did. Um, in fact, the, the term open source, and that, that was, you know, we're talking the 90s here, uh, late 90s, Going way back further, the term open source was being used regularly all over Usenet in the 80s um, by a lot of people. In fact, in fact, usage of the term open source wasn't first was claimed to be first used in the corporate setting by, you know, the, that whole Netscape becoming Firefox thing. That's what the open source initiative says. But in fact, Caldera DOS was talked about as being open source years before that and, and I cover all of this stuff because it it's important stuff but it what amazes me is that not only not only do does the open source initiative not understand the history of their own organization and the words that they are initiative for but not one to my knowledge I am the only one not one journalist has ever called them on it. Not one. Not one tech historian, not one computer historian, not one journalist. Nobody has ever called them on it, despite the fact that they are wildly and profoundly misinformed about the history of who they even are. Right? How crazy is that? It, 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 it drives me crazy kind of bonkers that this sort of thing happens so regularly and so you you hear things repeated all the time these same basic and I don't want to call them lies because I know a lot of these tech journalists and podcasters and youtubers they're not going around spouting lies they just don't know the history of the thing that they're talking about it just it just it just, it just boggles my mind and so so that's why I, I, I've been writing so many historical articles lately. Because I'm, I'm like, man, this needs to be covered. This needs to be talked about so that when people sit down, uh, they can, you know, here, let me bring up a few other things. They can speak from a, a place of knowledge. They can speak from a place of, of they actually kind of know what they're talking about right now. Um, uh, so I want to bring this up here. Let's see if I've got this uh, got this handy at all. Um, do I have my book on my phone right now? I probably should have my book on my phone. The question is, do I? Oh, here's another one. Oh, here's another one. And this one's more of a of a of a casual thing. Um, there there was an event. Uh, there was this event called uh, the uh, the West Coast Computer Fair. 
took place in 1977, right? Uh, and the West Coast Computer Fair, uh, I've got a whole article about this over in the London Journal. It's actually, and it's included in the book as well because it's such an important thing. Um, the West Coast Computer Fair was the biggest event like it that ever occurred, right? It was the biggest gathering of computer just enthusiasts that had ever occurred in human history. It was amazing. And there was a lot of amazing people there. Steve Jobs and Steve Wozniak were there. Uh, Bill Gates and Paul Allen were there. So many people. The inventor of the 6502 processor was there, uh, The guy, which is also the same guy who, who, who kind of organized and engineered the Commodore PET. Um, so much stuff was, was happening there. However, when you go and look around the internet for... Uh, photos of that event, you will find article after article proclaiming, here's a picture of Steve Jobs at the 1977 West Coast Computer Fair. And almost every one of those pictures is a lie. Because almost all of them are pictures of Steve Jobs or various other computer luminaries from entirely different events in some cases, many years later. In fact, some of the pictures being passed off as Steve Jobs from the, that 1977 event, which is where they introduced the Apple II, and it was a big deal. If you've ever seen the movie Pirates of Silicon Valley, there's a whole scene in that movie dedicated to this event. It was an amazing event. It really set up the whole computer industry for probably the next 20 plus years. It changed everything. It, re it really isn't underselling it to say that that was ground zero for the whole industry. It really was. And um, all the pictures you see, though, are fake. They're pictures that came from the 19. 80 West Coast Computer Fair or entirely different events years later. But they weren't from that event. There was astoundingly few pictures from that event. I've included some of the ones that we can actually verify were from that event, which are really, really small, fuzzy, low-res pictures that were published uh, in a singular computing magazine back then, What something that had very low readership, uh, certainly compared to nowadays. And um, but it's amazing to me. It's amazing to me how often those untruths get repeated because someone will go to an article that says, here's Steve Jobs at the 1977 West Coast Computer Fair. And it'll have Steve Jobs there, a picture of Steve Jobs. And then five other articles will copy that same picture, put it in their article and quote it as from the 1977. And so now there's there's article, there's pictures everywhere across the Internet that are falsely attributed to that seminal event. And it's not real. Not at all real. It might as well be a cartoon rendering of the event drawn 20 years after the fact. It's just not real. Um, another interesting thing. Another, I, I, I could go on and on about this. I'll, I'll just throw out a few more here. If you look into the history of digital publishing, right? Like, um, like we're talking, you know, publishing like, like publications, like magazines, and zines, and and all that sort of thing, on the internet. You will find a lot of articles that talk about the history of it. You really, there are quite a few of them out there, and every single one of them 
is wildly inaccurate. Now, some of them are crazy levels of inaccurate. Some of them are like, back in 1991, with the invention of the PDF file format, magazines became explosively popular. It's like, okay, there's like 18 different falsehoods in that single sentence. Like, that's, PDFs weren't ex invented. Like, like it's just, oh my heavens to Betsy. Like, it, there's so many inaccuracies. But none of them, none of them, go back to Usenet. None of them go back to the Usenet cookbook, which is arguably the first digital end-to-end -end publication. And no one talks about that. It, this is just... And all those fake articles where they are just inaccurate about the history of things, whether it's Emacs or Linux or the computer industry or Apple history or digital publishing or any of them, they're just so often wildly, wildly wrong. <coughs> Excuse me. It just kind of blows my mind. I, um... It, it just totally blows my mind. I I did a, an article, uh, a really big article, like a long one, um, it, it's all, which is also in the book, on the history of graphical user interfaces. And I, I, I did it from 1945 through 1980. And the reason I, I chose that, you know, those spans of, of time to focus on in that article is that almost nobody talks about where the graphical user interfaces of computers that we have nowadays, where they really germinated. Because it does really go back to 1945. 1945. It's not a joke. That It really does. And uh, so many aspects of the path from 1945 all the way to the 1980s when graphical user interfaces really became popular, so many of those little jumping stones, those stepping stones, get completely lost. And you'll hear articles of like, oh, when uh, Steve Jobs pulled out the graphical user interface from the clouds above. It, like, like, obviously that's wrong. Right. But you hear those things repeated and then you go back further and you're like, well, Steve Jobs really just was copying uh, uh, the uh, the folks over at Xerox Park um, and Xerox Park is where the graphical interface created. OK, well, obviously that's wrong. And then every now and then you'll hear people who are a little bit more educated talk about um, the mother of all demos. And the mother of all demos, which you've never watched it, you got to watch it. It's amazing. Uh, did showcase a lot of pioneering stuff, but it didn't invent those things. At least not most of them. Most of those really came beforehand. And it just doesn't get talked about how much important history and groundbreaking work is done for these sorts of things. Another thing that drives me crazy is when people talk about the creation of the internet, right? You talk about TCPIP usually and the World Wide Web, right? Vint Cerf and Tim Berners-Lee. Those are the names that get brought up. But where did Vint Cerf and the rest of the people that worked in the TCP, you know, uh, group that made that happen, where did they get those ideas? Where did they get that code? Pup. P-U-P. 
Does people talk? Do people talk about Pup much? No! Should they talk about Pup? All the time because it's amazing. Um, uh, it, it's, it's sort it's just, yes. It just absolutely needs to be talked about more. And, and, and on top of that, people talk a lot about, about uh, the revolution of the World Wide Web. And, you know, uh, Tim Berners-Lee is groundbreaking web browser and all that. Uh, uh, he was really just copying a lot of things that already existed. Except he was lucky in that his became popular. Uh, and some of the other ones didn't. And some of the other ones arguably had had a bit more functionality to them as well anyway there's just there's just so much there's so much there and so the the book i wrote really is a collection of of articles and stories that correct some of these inaccuracies that right some of these wrongs and with the hope with the hope as i know as naive as that hope is that enough people read that sort of thing and then they realize oh man oh man i i was missing out on these huge chunks of computer history i didn't even know about oh man i had been lied to by tech journalists and oh my god for years and and what amazes me is even some of the tech journalists that have been around a long time the like the walt mossbergs of the world that have been around and writing about tech for a long time get it profoundly wrong they buy into the hype of of who is who created stuff um that gets sold to them by whatever current company is in power and they just forget all of the great and groovy history that came before or in addition to anyway i i hope you enjoy it i hope all of you do uh again go go subscribe uh, get the books for free 10 books man 10 books for free um and, and even if you can't afford to subscribe you know subscribe for the free subscription parts of it so you get alerted to all the articles that come along um because i i do these podcasts but the podcast really just scratches the surface of the content i put out I don't even know if I don't even like using the word content for it because that gets overused nowadays. I write I write articles and I write books and I write comic strips and whatnot about alternative operating systems and Linux and tech history and and all that good stuff. Um, And I I highly recommend following along with the articles. Uh, A thing that blows my mind. So not only are there 10 books now. And with more coming, uh, that are that are perks for everyone who subscribes, right? But the amount of articles that I've been putting out on technology history, on on uh, you know in depth discussions and thoughts around some of the more um, you know modern technology news and Linux news and Unixy news and all that sort of thing, as well as satire pieces. What the number of articles and the number of words is significantly higher than any publication I've ever written for before. Um, and is higher than, as far as I know, any tech magazine that exists right now. Yeah. Yeah, baby. That feels good. I'm not going to lie. I am extremely proud right now. I'm I'm a proud papa because over the, over the last couple of months, I've been writing more articles per month than any tech magazine I'm aware of. 
Um, and more than any tech publication online or paper or however it was have it's been distributed that I've ever written for. And I've written for some really prestigious and quality publications. Heck, I wrote for Linux Journal, man. Linux Journal is the king of Linux uh, publications. It's just, it still is. The amount of stuff I'm cranking out not only is getting read by more people than any of those publications did, but has more just raw content on, a, on more topics than any of those publications. And those were good publications. Good ones. Really good ones. And so I am just... At the risk of tooting my own horn too much, I'm really, really proud, man. Like, I, it feels good to be able to be proud of that work. It, it's throughout all of that, through all of, the, all of that I'm doing, no company has told me what to write for any of this stuff. No company has influenced what I write for any of this stuff because I don't take a single dollar of advertising from anyone. It's all funded by all of you guys. Which means I get to write about whatever I want. And it just so happens that I've found an awful lot of nerds out there that want to read and listen to and look at the same kind of stuff I do. And that's just amazing to me. I That's, that's just the best. I, I really... I am extremely, exceedingly over-the-top lucky that all of you put that much faith in me that it, and, and, and supported this, supported this crazy endeavor to make all of this possible. Without all of you subscribing, it wouldn't be possible. And I'm publishing this podcast in a couple of different places. Uh, it, gets, it goes up on YouTube and, and Apple Podcasts. And I think it's on Spotify. And it's on a few other places. But the real core is over at lunduke.substack.com and lunduke.locals.com. Lunduke.locals is the community and lunduke.substack is the, the core publication. But all the publication stuff gets posted over on lunduke.locals as well. So, so it's on both. So you can subscribe to either. And and you really can't go wrong with either. You get everything and it's all it's all on both. So anyway, thank you to everyone who's made this all possible because gosh, I wouldn't get to yell about how wrong <laughs> so many computer historians and technology journalists and whatnot are all the time without all of you. And I wouldn't get to write satirical pieces about it either, which make me very happy. I've got two books of satire, my my heavens. Uh, anyway, I'm gonna let y'all go. I I wanted I, I just wanted to say how much I love y'all. You're you're all fantastically amazing. Thank you again. Thank you to all the subscribers. Thank you to all the well wishers. Thanks to all the people who just write in with with their thoughts and and everything. I appreciate every single one of you. You are all truly fantastic nerds. And I will talk to you a little bit later. <laughs>